Nearly five years later, Shani is living in Joburg, working as an artist, motivational speaker, anti-drug campaigner and author. His first book, a memoir, Dragons and Butterflies, detailed his time in jail. And uh, and Shani joins me on the line now. Shani, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Good to have you with us. Uh, as Thanks. I said, uh, as I said in the intro, it's been five years since you, nearly five years since you touched back down uh, on South African soil. What are your memories of the moment that you landed back in South Africa after nearly twenty years in Bangkok? So, as you can imagine, it was a very emotional occasion and um, completely overwhelming. So, it was all, almost like a dream. So. I knew I was in for in for some challenges, but I never imagined just how difficult life would be after prison. But the moment that I landed, I just listened to the interview that you played. So uh, I got goosebumps all over. I mean, there were so many people waiting for me at the airport. So it was just amazing to have that kind of support. But it was overwhelming, almost like a dream. Sure, sure. Uh, and and you've you've still only be back, been back home for a fraction of the time that you spent in jail. How much of your old life uh, in South Africa were you able to to pick up from once you'd come home? Well, South Africa was a was a completely different country, mm. and I was a, I was a changed man. So it was a, it was the beginning of a whole new new life for me, so to speak. How easy was it or wasn't it uh, to to connect with friends? I know that you communicated while you were in Thailand, obviously. Um, but but was it possible to, to pick up from, from friendships, from relationships that you'd had nearly 20 years prior? So it was, it was quite difficult because, you know, people change, I changed. And um, most of my friends had, had, uh, had families and children. So... Um, I was I was welcomed by a lot of them, and obviously a lot of them uh, stayed away. I still haven't reconnected with some of my friends, so they they like created a distance. But 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 on a social level, it, it wasn't difficult at all because I I did have a lot of visits in Thailand, and I did socialize, so to speak, and I was still a lot out there. So but 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 difficult. I think integrating as I faced a lot of challenges. And um, I had a lot of issues that I was dealing with. So on some levels, I must say it wasn't easy. But on other levels, I made a whole lot of new friends, you know. And, and I think that's what it was about. It was about letting go of the past and, and embracing the new friendships and, and the people that came into my life and inspired me and lifted me up and helped me on my new journey. I want to talk, of course, um, about about your life since uh, what's been happening for you in the in the uh, in the last five years, and and I understand that, that that in fact it's this period that that forms sort of the basis of of your the new book that you're writing. But can we talk um, about what led to your incarceration in Thailand? If people aren't familiar in with your story, in 1994 you were initially sentenced to death um, for smuggling heroin. That was then commuted to a hundred years, and you were eventually released, I believe. With the king's pardon, is that right? Yes, after eighteen years. After eighteen that's years. Correct. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Uh, how so, did? So, go ahead. Sorry. Yes. I was going to ask how, how did you end up in, in Thailand in the first place? So, so actually, I had a history of drug addiction and dealing drugs in South Africa for sixteen years prior to going to Thailand, and um, I got involved in. Uh, smuggling drugs from Thailand to, to basically it was to New York. So so um, it was my first trip. 
Um, I'd been dealing cocaine before that, and my merchants had, had approached me on several occasions if I wanted to get involved and, and you know, do a trip. So that's how, that's how I got involved with that. And once you once you you got to Thailand, obviously uh, you were, you were arrested, um, and so, so, no, so so you, no, I was caught smuggling drugs out of Thailand. Oh, not uh, into sorry, Thailand. I, sorry, yeah. do do okay. give me. See, you you were coming back, obviously, yeah. Uh, but when when you were arrested in that moment, what was what was going through your mind? <laughs> Gee whiz. I mean, you, you, you know, actually, I wasn't aware of the consequences. I didn't know I was going to be facing the death penalty or a life sentence, you know. And the thing was that the drugs were so professionally um, um, concealed that, that unless you knew the drugs were there, it was virtually undetectable. So all along, I thought I was going to get away with it. But I was actually set up and, and, and the cops were waiting for me. So the moment they pounced on me, I just... I was still hoping and, and praying that, well, maybe they're not going to find the drugs. But, sure. I mean, you know, so so it's, it's difficult to describe, but it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was scary and it was frightening. Where, were you yourself in, in active addiction and, and using at the time? Well, I wasn't using at that particular time when I was on the mission, but prior to going to that, about two, three weeks before I went to Thailand, I suffered one of my second seizures. So I almost overdosed and died. So I had been using drugs on and off for the past 16 years, leading up to me going to Bangkok to, to carry drugs. And what was your drug of choice? So, so I mean, initially it was mainly marijuana, and then, then which led to me smoking Andrax, and then taking LSD, and then cocaine, and then freebasing. So freebasing, basically, in the end, that's what I was on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shani, when when that sentence was handed down, um, and you were just talking about then that you you didn't sort of have an idea of the magnitude of what was what potentially w- would be your fate. When that sentence was handed down, what went through your mind, and what was your biggest fear? So the thing was that that when I was arrested, I was taken to a prison called Bombard Prison. There were other foreigners there, so basically, I knew that. I, I might get the death penalty, I might get life, I might get 35 years. So also I went to court for, for um, we went every, every like, I think it was a four weeks, eight times before I was sentenced. So I was quite prepared for, for getting the sentence. But I mean, I still hoped that I would get a, a lesser sentence because I had pleaded guilty. So, so, you know, the, the law is inconsistent in Thailand. You can be caught with 10 grams, 1 kilo, 10 kilos, and you could, you could get a life sentence. You get 33 years, 25 years. So, so you never know. But um, I had to be strong because my sister was there for my court case. And um, so, you know, when, when the sentence was handed out, um, the, um, the translator said, you got the death penalty. So I said, I said we were, like, quite shocked. So I said, well, you, could you just check? Because, I mean, I pleaded guilty mm. and I should have got 100 years, which was life. So she went and checked and then she said, no, she apologised and said, actually, it was commuted to life. So, so I mean, I was quite prepared, you know, for the worst. I mean, I had to be. That was the reality of it. Can you talk a little bit about your decision to, to plead guilty and knowing what... Lay ahead. I mean, what what was what was going through? How do you reconcile? How do you come to terms with the fact that you are uh, you are going to spend you you will die in jail? 
so, so the thing was that initially I had pleaded uh, not guilty. And I fabricated a story that I wasn't aware that I was carrying drugs and I was carrying uh, forged foreign currency, mainly being dollars. So my first uh, court appearance, I pleaded not guilty. And then on the advice of fellow inmates who had been through the system and, and been through the judiciary, I was advised to change my plea. So that was the reason why I changed it. So, I mean, it was hard to come to terms with it because um, um, it's 100 years. I was 34 years old. And, I mean, I thought, well, there's, there's no way I'm ever going to make it out of your life. So at one stage, actually, I did contemplate uh, taking my life. You know, but um, so many people got involved in my case. And already in 1996, the king celebrated his 50th anniversary to the throne. And a new government came into power, and they weren't going to include drug cases in the amnesty. So I wrote hundreds of letters to human rights organizations all over the world, pleading for them to uh, put pressure on the Thai government not to discriminate against drug cases, and also to abolish the death penalty. And I, I wrote thousands of letters to, to people in South Africa who then also drew up petitions and sent it to the king. So when the amnesty came up, we did get the amnesty. And after being there for two years, my sentence was reduced from 100 to 40. So, I mean, that, that was a miracle. And um, so already I had hope, thinking, well, if anything, the two years, I've already, uh, my sentence has been reduced by 60 years, so maybe I'll do 10. You know, so that actually kept me going. And the fact that so many people on the premise that I was innocent were getting involved in trying to secure an early, an early release. Yeah, in, indeed. Uh, and if I could just ask, what, what was your biggest, your, your fear uh, once that sentence was, was handed down? I know that your mother campaigned tirelessly for, for your release. Was, was the fear around for yourself or was it for your family? So, I mean, a lot goes through your man's mind when, when you lose your freedom, you know, and, and, and you, you, you're facing 100 years in prison. You know, but the thing was that I started uh, expressing myself through art and literature, writing poetry. So actually my art was my salvation. So for me, the most important thing was never to waste a moment. And at the same time, I went on the spiritual journey and, and evolved as a person. And I started to develop my artistic skills. So actually, I found purpose while I was in prison. So, so that, that's what, so, I mean, I knew one day I would be free, and there was no way that I was going to give up. So, so I, th- I think my, my fear was also for my family. I know we're devastated about my arrest. Mm, mm. So, so you, you know, it's, it's a, a situation where you do or die, and you just got to accept the circumstances. But we never gave up, and we tried to get a treaty in place. And there were prominent businessmen involved in my case. Mr. Mandela was involved in my case, where he had actually written a personal letter to the King of Thailand asking for my pardon. So all these things kept my hopes alive all the time. Mm, mm. And, and I know that you, whilst you were, whilst you were in jail, uh, you wrote part of your memoir, Dragons and Butterflies, uh, while there, and, and it reveals it in graphic detail, your, your time in jail. Um, and it's something you must get asked all the time, so do forgive me, but what, what was the hardest point for you during, uh, during those, uh, those 18 years? 
I, th- I think so the, the, difficult, the most difficult part was around about when I hit the 15-year mark. And there, there was a stage where the South African government was negotiating a treaty and then a treaty was put into place. So, and, and, and then nothing happened. I mean, a delegation from the correction department was there meeting with, with the correction department of Thailand and, and everything just fell through and it just seemed like there was, there was no hope. So I think my most difficult part was when I reached 15 years. So I, I really strained over there uh, and uh, my, it had affected me psychologically that I went into a state of depression. And so that, that was for me the hardest point. Mm, mm. Uh, amazing that, that that it would be sort of 15 years in. I think one one might presume that by then uh, you sort of accepted your your fate in that regard. Uh, but uh, but but for you that the, the 15 the 15 year mark. Um, can you describe a little bit about about what what everyday life uh, was like? And I don't want to harp too much on about about the past. But but, but for people who yeah. aren't familiar with your story, I, I think it's it's crucial because I then I then do want to talk about the last five years. <laughs> Uh, but, but but just ex- explain how uh, what became the norm um, and and Bangkwang, I, I should point out to, to those who are who to the uninitiated is is a notorious uh, j- jail in Bangkok. I believe it's it's also referred to as the Bangkok laugh you know rather tongue in cheek as the Bangkok Hilton. I mean it's, yeah, it's so deeply unpleasant in there. Yeah, so it's rated as one of ten most dangerous prisons in the world. So um, you, you know you know I had quite a structured life. So, so prison, you know, you can either do good time or you can do bad time, you know. So, I mean, as foreigners, we weren't required to work. And um, we were let out of ourselves every morning around 6.30 in the morning. And then we had places where you could go or like I had a studio. We called it a house. I would go to my house where I would. Um, so it depended. My, 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 my routine changed from time to time. So there was a stage where I would get up first thing in the morning and go jogging in the yard. So when I was finished jogging, I would take a shower. Now, showers were taken out of horse trots. The horse trots, everybody uh, would come down and congregate at the same time and shower with these plastic Tupperware bowls that you would scoop out of the horse trots. And the water that you showered out of was pumped from the local river. So there was those like little tadpoles, uh, what's the name, swimming around. But if if you had money, then you could afford the luxury of clean water, which you kept in plastic buckets. So once we showered in that, we would um, have like facilities where we could boil water and have our coffee, take our breakfast. So that would consist of maybe uh, bread, which we could get from the bakery in the prison. And a lot of the Thais used to put condensed milk on it and eat that for breakfast. For foreigners and that, we would get, as those of us who were fortunate enough, we could get parcels from our families, and they would send us cheese spreads and whatever. So, And also you could order food from the, from the grocery store, which you had to pay for yourself. So that, that would be breakfast. And then after breakfast, invariably, I used to draw and paint for the first few hours of the day. So there was a small window of opportunity where the heat wasn't as unbearable, where you could actually, where I could actually draw. Um, then, then I had a, I was lucky enough to have a guy who used to cook for me, a Chinese guy, and then I'd have my lunch. And then after lunch, um, you know, we'd walk around in the yard and the guys were playing football, so it was basketball, there was a gym where you could work out. And then around about 2 o'clock, we, we were required to shower again, 
before we were locked up in our cells. So we'd spend about 15 hours in a cell and, and um, cells, the, the number of people in cells varied. So at some stage we were 16, some stage we were 24, the towers were 26, so it was extremely overcrowded. I used to do most of my letter writing and reading in the cells. So that's basically a day. Wow. Yeah. One, one, one review. Uh, one, you have to read the book. Yeah, no, no indeed. And I actually became familiar with, with, with your story, uh, Shani, when I was reading um, uh, now my mind, Helen Friedman's book um, for piranhas. What's it called? Dead fish, uh, dead, dead fish, cows, dead, dead, dead cows, cows for piranhas, piranhas. dead cows for piranhas. Hazel Friedman. Yeah, Hazel Friedman, Hazel Friedman. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's where I became familiar. And although your, your story is, is one of many in the book, it, it, it spoke to me, um, really. Um, and yet you're right, I do need to. It's quite a tome, your book, isn't it? 200,000 words. And I, I certainly will. Maybe they'll make that one of my New Year's resolutions. Just, just, and by the time I finish that, maybe your second one will have come out. <laughs> and I can get cracking with that one. Uh, listen, one yeah. one review of, of of dragons and butterflies that that I read online calls it heartbreaking. And uh, to, to quote the author of the of the review, I found myself willing Krebs to make better decisions. Uh, Shani, how much time do you allow for regret in your life? So, so you know what the thing is. I've often been asked that question, and and on, on reflecting on my life, I actually have no regrets because. I think to get where I am today, I had to go through all of that. You know, it's the addiction, the prison, and, you know, I actually, for me, I rediscovered who I was in prison. Had I not gone to prison, I probably would have been dead today. So, so um, if I had the opportunity to, to have my life again, I think I would do it very differently in that I wouldn't do drugs. So I think that was the biggest lesson for me. Sure. But otherwise, I don't have any regrets. You were you you were just thirty four when you, when you went to jail and in your fifties when you released. Would it be fair to say that a large part of of your uh, maturation happened behind bars? And and if so, what impact did that have on you when you were released? So, so I mean, it had a huge impact on me because, um, like I said, I went through this whole process of actually I realised my dreams in prison because. Prior to uh, when I was at school, one of my dream was to become an art teacher. And in prison, after having developed my artistic skills, I actually started teaching. So, and also, you know, um, when you're in a confined space and, you know, you actually, I mean, there's no dignity in prison. And, um, you know, one survival skill comes into play. So, the, so it, was, it was very difficult for me to adjust to prison. So, I mean, that, that had a huge impact on me. I mean, you can imagine 18 years of deprivation, no intimacy with a woman. You know, so it was really, I mean, it changes your whole outlook on life. And, and you know, one of the things, uh, I think one of the biggest lessons was that we take so much for granted, um, even our freedom. You know, so also uh, the sequel to Dragons and Butterflies actually analyzes and explores the whole concept on freedom and what it means to us. For um, I, I remember in prison when I was in solitary confinement, for the first time in my life I actually felt free, and yet I was a prisoner within a prison. Indeed. So th there were so many lessons that I learned, and, and these have really impacted my life on the outside. So, so, so even though um, we are going through challenging times, 
I wake up every morning with a smile on my face and I embrace the day. And, you know, just think that there's so much I can be grateful for. Uh, Shani, we've uh, we've had a message in from from Steve via, via Facebook who says, "Please pass on my best to Shani. Uh, we used to sleep next to each other in Building Six. I count him as a good trooper and a friend." Yes, yeah, Steve Bristol. Yeah, I, 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 he's a great guy. Um, one thing, one thing also, you know, in prison you form relationships and bonds, and you know, you, there's almost a collective consciousness. We're all you're all suffering, and you know, your suffering is different, but but you're all together. So there's this unspoken bond between prisoners, and um, actually, Steve and, and some of the other cellmates who were in Building Six. Um, our, I was involved in a series of fights in Building 2 where I was eventually thrown out of the building and I was sent to Building 6. And these guys welcomed me with open arms and welcomed me to their cell. So um, I actually had, Steve was like one of the guys who welcomed me and uh, we had quite a strong friendship. Sure, sure. Well, that's, that's wonderful stuff. Thank you, Steve, for that message. Let's talk about the new book, uh, Shani. You're in the process of writing. It's called, I believe, Shackles of Freedom. And you posted a short extract uh, from the book on your face pa- Facebook page recently. May, may, may I read the piece? Yes, please do. Okay, uh, this is the, this is a, a quote from uh, from Shani's next book, uh, the sequel to um, Dragons and Butterflies, uh, called Shackles of Freedom. The media were there in full force, lurking, waiting to pounce on their prey. I struggled to compose myself. All I wanted to do was run and hide in a corner. All this attention was too much too soon. But here I was, free and there was nowhere to run. Survival was what I knew best. I needed to play a role. I'd become the master of disguise. In prison on certain days, I was forced to wear a mask. Some days I wore my happy mask and on other days, the moment dictated the terms. Today, here and now, my mask would be some of somebody I would imagine myself to be some years down the line from now. Wow. Sure. That's touching. Wow. Talk to us about Shackles of Freedom and, and why that why that title? So, so uh, Shackles of Freedom is about my reintegration into society and the challenges um, not only I face, but any convict who comes out of uh, prison. So, you know, society is very unforgiving. And, and the thing is, not only when I came out, well, was I trying to rebuild my life, but at the same time, I needed to survive and generate income. And, and one of the things that, that like, struck me most was um, I had, like, walked the streets and, and went to every gallery in Johannesburg, every top gallery, trying to get them to exhibit my art. And nobody wanted to touch me. So I wasn't sure if it was because of my history or maybe because my art wasn't uh, represented the spirit of the times. So at one stage, I just thought, well, okay, I'll have to just open up my own gallery one day. But my main purpose was to write Dragons and Butterflies to get my story out there. So, so uh, Shackles of Freedom will, will analyze the whole concept of freedom and also um, my reintegration into society. So I don't think I can ever fit in. But my whole purpose was to add value to other people's lives. And I knew that Dragons and Butterflies would have that impact. So even writing Dragons and Butterflies was a journey in itself, which took me about a year. 
and all else that was going on at the same time. So not only was I writing a book, I was trying to uh, make a living. I was I was building up my own life and. We, I was writing the book, so, and there were just so many people along the way who helped me on my journey. And obviously, I had issues. One of the issues that I had was I got confrontational issues, so I was still in that prison mindset. So it was very difficult for me because I made friends and I made enemies. So I don't think people actually understood the psychological damage after 18 years of imprisonment. I also had intimacy problems with women. Mm-hmm. And so, so it also analyzes in the book, um, why women are attracted to, to, to bad boys, convicts. So I had a lot of relationships with different women all over the world while I was in prison. Mm. I remember that specifically from the, from the book, Shani. <laughs> yeah, so, so there's that whole aspect to that and then also about my successes. And so it's, it's mainly like an inspirational book. Sure, sure. Uh, Shani, how much responsibility do, do you take for, for what happened to you? I mean, what th- there must be some people who say to you, listen, you, you bought this all on yourself, you carried the drugs, you knew what you were doing, X, Y and Z, uh, we don't want to hear about it. Uh, how, do you, how do you react to that? Pr- presumably not everybody um, reacts positively to you. Yeah, so, you know, I always understood that, that there'd be mixed reactions. So, I mean, I have taken responsibility. I mean, from, from day one that, that I arrived in South Africa, I was on the John Robbie show, and I'd stated openly on national radio that I was guilty. I knew exactly what I was doing. Mm. And I've taken responsibility for my actions, you mm. know. So, but I believe everybody deserves a second chance in life, you know. And at the same time, they're not afforded. You've got to earn them. And I had to earn the trust of my family and my friends. And which I did that. I did hard time and also changed my life around. I mean, in November, I celebrated 20 years clean. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. you. Sure. So, so you know what? People are entitled to their opinions. I mean, I had death threats when I came out. Mm. People condemned me that I was a carrier of death, adult drugs. And I agree with all that. I mean, I really do. So, I mean, also... while I was in prison, I used to draw people's portraits all over the world and send it to them. So instead of dealing drugs and selling drugs, here I was bringing joy to people's lives. So I, I went the full circle and I turned my life around. What are some of the things that you uh, you enjoy the most now? We, we've, we, I want to talk a bit more about your art in just a moment. But in t- what's what's you know the, the best kind of day that that uh, that Shani can have? <laughs> you know, it's just to wake up in the morning and just to be free to do what I please. So for me, the the, the biggest thing was having no restrictions and and to, to and freedom of movement. So a lot of uh, some of my art that I've been doing, I've been painting these huge one comma eight meter canvases, which actually symbolise that freedom. Because in prison I was confined, and the biggest the biggest picture I could paint was probably like an A two on an A two piece of paper. So, so for me, just to get up in the morning, being able to do what I, what I want to do and having that freedom of movement, that for me is the best thing. And also, to, you know, to be out there and to see life and, um, and to impact other people's lives because I think that's what it's about. It's about making a difference to others. So I know. Wherever I can, go yeah, ahead. Sorry. No, please go ahead. Please go ahead. So, so wherever I can, you know, help somebody, guide them. I mean, I teach art as well. So, and, and for me, um, to share this knowledge and to see some of my students get distinctions at school, that gives me the greatest pleasure.
Wonderful stuff. And I know that you are an, an avid uh, anti-drugs campaigner. But that's, that's correct. So I do talk at schools. I do corporate talks. So I counsel, I counsel privately. And um, one of the guys who have come to me recently, I must say, has turned his life around. So I've always got time to help somebody else who might be going down that same path that I did. And that was one of the reasons I also needed to write Rangers and Butterflies. That, so that especially the, the kids of today can understand the consequences and dangers of drugs. And, and I know my, my book's also been introduced into quite a few school libraries. Amazing stuff. What, um, when, when can we expect um, Shackles of Freedom to, to come out? How far so, through? So, is, this, is, this another, is this another epic? No, so, so I've been asked by my publishers to keep it short. Oh. <laughs> they don't want I bet. another 200,000 words. Sure. So, uh, I mean, I've, I've started writing uh, the sequel a few months after Dragons and Butterflies was published. But the thing was that it was still premature. So not, not that much had happened since the book was published, but quite a lot has happened since I was released from prison. So I've set my deadline for April, so I'm hoping to finish it by April, but I would expect it should be in the bookstores if the publishers grab it by December, which I'm hoping they will. Wonderful stuff. So uh, will you come back when it's uh, when the book's out? Will you come back and, uh, and talk to us again, Shani? Yes, that would be amazing. Thank you. And we'll be in touch anyway on Facebook, and, and you'll see you you're following me now. I am. So it's... So, um, yeah, it would be a, a huge privilege for me. Thank you. Shani, it's been, it's been wonderful to, to speak to you and to find out, uh, to find out more about your story. Um, and, and I must thank you for, for staying up for us as well, <laughs> because I know that you, you have a busy life and you had a busy day. You were out to dinner earlier, had a quick nap and then, and then spoke to us. And, and, yeah, I did have a nap. You know, I just want to say hi to Steve and, and, and some of the other guys who sure. came to Zhuang Kwan and, and just to say that, that they did make a difference to my life as well and they taught me a lot. The guys in Building 6, I must say, they, they were very high-spirited and um, I, I love those guys. So we went through a hell of a lot. So, so Steve, thanks, man. Thanks for everything. And I've just happened to get, 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 give Steve a book recently. So, so I hope he's enjoying it. And, um, and basically that's it. It's just great to be free and to, to be in this beautiful country. Indeed, indeed. Well, uh, well all the best uh, for, for the future, Shani. And, uh, and please do come back and talk to us uh, when Shackles of Freedom uh, is, is ready and in the bookstores. Thank you so much, Sarah Jane.